Before we get started on today's show, where I'm joined by Alex Schiffer, there's something I want to tell you about real quick. If you're a fan of basketball, which you probably are if you listen to this podcast right here, and you're a fan of The Athletic, and you're a fan of all the great content at The Athletic, all the great writers, opinion makers, there is a great new podcast feed to go to. It's called The Athletic NBA Show, five shows a week. Monday through Friday, from some of the biggest, brightest minds in all of basketball. David Aldridge, Sam Amick, Dave DeFore, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper. If they're on The Athletic and they're a good writer, a good reporter, they're going to be on this feed. Five days a week, Monday through Friday. Tremendous stuff. Whatever podcast app you use, go on it and search The Athletic NBA Show. This is the place to be if you're an NBA fan. You're going to get so much knowledge, so much fun conversation, tremendous interviews, all of it, all through this feed, five days a week. So check it out. The Athletic NBA Show. Subscribe, download, rate, five stars. On today's show, I am joined by a very special guest, The Athletic's Brooklyn Nets reporter, Alex Schiffer. We're going to talk about Nets... In Orlando, point guard position, Jamal Crawford. We got so much more to talk about on the show coming right up. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Brian is not here, but guess who is? Alex Schiffer from The Athletic, Brooklyn Nets reporter. Alex, how are you? I'm good. I'm sorry to any of the listeners that didn't get Brian's uh, sung out hello <laughs> this week. Should, should we be transparent? I So Brian, or not Brian and I, but Alex and I are co-workers at The Athletic. So I slacked Alex and I said, hey, you want to join me for the show today? And Alex, what question did you ask? Will Brian be there? And I said no. <laughs> and I, I feel like I immediately let you down that you have to be stuck with me. But I appreciate you. Well, it's just like I'm the second string host, I feel like. You know what I mean? Brian? Can't, oh, yeah, Brian's out this week. How about I call Alex up, see what he's doing? <laughs> it's not that you're second string. It's that you're second string, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. <laughs> no, let's be honest here. It's a pandemic. Let's, let's yeah. have enough stuff going on. Well, we're going to talk about on today's show. I mean, you've been writing a lot about the Nets as they came back to Orlando. So we're going to kind of dig into the latest about what's been going on with the Nets, particularly who's going to be playing point guard. Uh, still up for debate. Maybe not an actual full-fledged NBA player in Chris Chioza. We'll talk about that. Jamal Crawford, Jacques Vaughn, and Karis LeVert. But you did write something today, today being Friday, on the for The Athletic about Jamal Crawford and Tyler Johnson. Uh, they've spoken to the media you know, what's the biggest thing that you've kind of learned about what their role on the team is going to be, or just overall them joining the team? What have you learned so far from those two guys? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I don't know how much there's been to learn about what the Nets offense is going to look like just because we we haven't heard from Donta Hall yet, and there's still that looming, I expect to be Justin Anderson signing that's just been <laughs> weird the whole way through. What a strange saga. Yeah. Like, we yeah. don't know anything. And, uh, and, I mean, I, I definitely think that you're going to see the Nets have to play smaller in Orlando. Jacques Vaughn's already said that. And, I mean, he spent the whole pandemic 
working on ways to, you know, kind of put his fingerprints on certain guys on the roster only for that to kind of get tanked with all the withdrawals and opt-outs for, uh, for the restart. So I think the biggest takeaway early on is just that, um, that they're both practicing. They both seem to be getting acclimated pretty quickly based on, on everything that's been said. And, and to me, just, and I kind of tried to make my story a lot about this, but to me, just the, the most interesting thing about all this to me is that, you know, Tyler Johnson, the Nets had hoped to kind of have him be the first domino to fall in their rebuild four years ago. And how the fortunes have turned where the Nets never really needed Tyler Johnson. It's kind of a blessing in disguise. They never made that, had, you know, that Miami matched that offer and, and that never went on their books. And, you know, now the Nets are contenders and waiting is kind of the phrase I've been, I've been using. And Tyler Johnson, I don't want to say he's on his last leg in the NBA, but I mean, you know, definitely. He's on his has, second to last leg. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, this is, this is the, this is a tremendous opportunity for him. Absolutely. If you think about it, because Absolutely. he was pushed off the rotation in Phoenix. Um, he didn't play well in Phoenix to finish out his run there. Mm-hmm. And now he goes to a situation where he may be the starter for a playoff team. Yeah. Potential. Yeah. No, and that that was the thing talking to him last night when everyone was asking him about his time meeting with the Nets in 2016, just how um, how all of that is aged in every single way from the Nets flying their entire entourage, including Brooke Lopez, out to Chicago to meet with him and only to see the offer get matched. And, and many have gone on publicly to say that it it's still ridiculous that that was the offer to begin with. And now he's on a veteran minimum deal the Nets get him anyway, and now he is kind of auditioning for a role as a rotation player on a contender next year instead of being like the face of the franchise or, or would have been close to it next to yeah. Brooke had he signed in 2016, given who else was on the roster. There, There's an alternate reality four years ago. I mean, there's multiple, multiple alternate realities we could talk about from four years ago, but one of them is being that there would be giant posters of Tyler Johnson all throughout the five boroughs of him standing there with a beard, with the Cousin Moe's beard, and he would have been the star of the Nets. And you talk about his contract. So it was, it was four years, $50 million. At the time, apparently Tyler Johnson threw up when he heard about it, which is quite a, quite a move. I love that. I kind of It shows humility, frankly, that, that he internally was so, uh, not repulsed, but he was so shocked to his system that someone would offer him that amount of money and the heat matched. Um, but if we play out this scenario, if Tyler Johnson's on your books and let's say Otto Porter is also on your books or Alan Crabb the first time around, Ugh, Alan Crabb. Um, yeah, it's all of it is, it is also interesting of how living through that early Mark's era and how these moves we were hoping they would kind of work out and then they didn't. And you kind of felt like, you know, that obviously that stinks. This team is going to continue to be untalented, but those moves not working out has led us to a place where the Nets have Tyler Johnson for no money. And they also have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant allegedly on the roster, but they're kind of floating out, uh, not currently on the team right now. The, the, I think the thing about Tyler Johnson, which is interesting to me is that he, he is like an archetype for the guard. They do on need on this team, right? Like they do need Garrett Temple is sort of like this, but they do need a guy who can somewhat ball handle who can shoot threes and had been previously in his career a good defensive player. But the thing you point out in your article, which is true, and Brian talked about this, is that Tyler Johnson plays like a D'Lo-style mid-range game mm-hmm. without being as good at that. And 
is is he going to continue to get to do that in this offense? Is he going to continue to actually get to put up mid-range shots to that level that he was, you know, kind of doing in in Phoenix and Miami before that? You know, you took the next sentence out of my mouth just of um how he kind of rem- he's a cheaper yet not as good of a player as D'Angelo Russell for this team right now all, all things considered. And, and the only thing we know about what Jacques Vaughn's considered with the newcomers is that he's hasn't watched a lot of film with them yet but he has studied a lot of where they're at their best on the floor in terms of getting shots off and as you touched on that is the mid-range for tyler johnson and you know i remember and i touched on this like a little bit in the article but kenny atkinson was asked back in february when d'angelo russell returned to brooklyn about how that mid-range game was really an exception to the net system because it's mainly threes and layups are what they're emphasizing and uh and, you know, most of their offense, one through four, essentially is the, the same responsibilities. And how Kenny Atkinson said, he's like, that. I wasn't a fan of it, but he was so good at it, I had to live with it. So I, I think the Nets, given their roster attrition and, and the current state of the team, they, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And, I mean, if you want to be competitive, are you really going to have a guy play out of his comfort zone in the limited window you have with him? That, that just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm really curious to see how that works. And... I am curious to see what he brings to the three-point table just because, again, he's, he's a decent three-point shooter. You know, 35% is not bad, but it's not it's, – you know, we're not talking Joe Harris numbers or anything. Yeah. So um, I'm really curious to see where, over the course of his time in Orlando, does he end up getting the most shots off on the floor. Yeah, and it's so – so Chris Chioza is – because Tyler Johnson hadn't been there, Chioza has been the starting point guard, right, on these five-on-five scrimmages mm-hmm. in practice. Where do you see that landing? I mean, obviously, it's too early, right? Like, we don't even have Tyler Johnson. Has he? He's had like two practices with the team so far. Or... Yes. So we don't have a t- tremendous amount of information. But is there an expectation that Chios is going to start for the team, even though he's a two-way player currently for the Nets? How is that going to work out? Is it does because the Nets have to make a decision soon, right, to bring him up to the roster, don't they? The the way it's been explained to me with the two-way guys is that they're um, – and a, a source that has talked to the, the union and, and is in the know with the contract situations on this told me that the day limits with two-ways, the 45-day limits and all that stuff is kind of being waived uh, just as roster space. So there's no issues at all with, with Chios's, um number of remaining days on his two-way. Now it just comes down to hell into restricted free agency – whenever their season ends. Um, to, to touch on the question of him starting, though, I, I think that – I actually think the Nets, one of their better lineups might be Joe's as the point guard with Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and maybe Rodion's out there as, as a starting five where Joe's is just this ultimate distributor to try to get Harris open and have Karis do his thing and, and you know, kind of play to roadie strengths. And, and obviously Jared's kind of underneath for some, you know, some pick and roll action and then to kind of do mop-up duty. I think that it makes a lot of sense for him to start. And also, you know, it, it's it's funny to me just – I think, you know, you talk about Chris Jones as the starting point guard, but, I mean, he was only getting hot, you know, the last four or five games before the season got suspended. So, you know, he he's maybe a, a handful of steps ahead of Tyler Johnson when you think about it. You know what I mean? Obviously he was with the team – since January, but in terms of just like significant playing time and meaningful minutes, I mean, he, he only really got hot, you know, in March. So I, I think there's a case for going, you know, with the veterans and starting, you know, Tyler Johnson and alongside Karis and Joe maybe as, as a more veteran backcourt. 
and, and having Karis play the point. But, you know, I, I, this isn't the best correlation, and I apologize ahead of it, but the, the thing that I keep thinking back to is that Karis video game-esque night in Boston where it was Chioza feeding Karis with Rhodey, DeAndre, and TLC out there. And, and again, obviously, it, it was most of the reserves and Karis and DeAndre, but it's a similar model, I feel like, for Karis uh, – Karis finds ways to get open. Chris Chioza tries to find ways to uh, passing lanes to get it open, uh, get him open. And some level of that being a, a large part of the offense. Again, though, you have Joe Harris, you have Jamal Crawford. It's tough to kind of speculate on, on some of the newer guys because we haven't seen anything with them yet. And these guys are, are months, and in Jamal's case, over a year removed from their last NBA game. But I just think that Chris Chioza being a distributor – and, and kind of knowing his role is to just feed the rest of the team. I, I think that model works pretty well with him as a starting point guard with whoever you're going to throw out there. I just want to take a break real quick to talk about something that is extremely important or should be in most people's lives. And that is smelling good. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne, which is a company that can help you smell really good. And getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Here is how Hawthorne works. You could take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you exactly the two colognes that are best for you, one for work, one for play, totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. So to check out Hawthorne, go to hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase, Hawthorne.co. Yeah, I was kind of laughing a little bit because we had Chris Chioza on this very podcast and we were asking him about that Boston game specifically. And, you know, I was saying like, when you were going through it, did you know that this comeback was going to be happening? You know, what was the messaging from the coaches and all that great stuff? And he basically was like, my whole job, I was just giving Karis the ball. He was like, he he put it that simply. He was like, I, I didn't do anything. I'm not going to take credit for it because it was Karis was playing at such a high level. And I, I do think that is going to be important. I mean, to me, the most important thing that we're going to have to try to discover in the Orlando bubble end of season playoffs, regular season, all that is like Karis LeVert's ceiling, right? Because this is going to be the last time on the nets that Karras is going to have, you know, all the usage that he's going to be the guy. Like even if Chioza is the point guard or Jamal Crawford or, I mean, Jamal, it's a little bit different case, but Tyler Johnson, the offense is all going to be about Karras LeVert. It's all about getting the ball to Karras or giving Karras the ball at the beginning of the offense to then he's going to go run a pick and roll or do whatever he wants to do. And, but, and then next season, of course, KD and Kyrie come back. So, He's going to be the third option at best or the, the guy who is playing with subs and being the main ball handler in those circumstances. We're going to have to find out still, it's still a question about how high is that ceiling. And it's an important question because, you know, not to go too crazy with trade rumors because we still have basketball to be played. But like if the Nets are going to make a big trade, Karis LeVert may be a part of that package. And the hardest question to me as a guy who's been watching this team is like, is Karis LeVert actually the guy you want on your team at not his age, his personality, his dollar figure to be the third star? I put quotes around that third star. Or do you want to mortgage Karis, Jared Allen draft picks to get 
you know, Bradley Beal's the name, but Bradley Beal unlikely to be moved, you know, until trade deadline next year, it seems. Um, or, you know, there's other players out there that you can name. CJ McCollum is one of those guys. But we need to find out more. We need more information on Karras. I wish the information was actually coming with KD and Kyrie right now. Of course. I wish I could learn what he looked like next to those dudes. But we still need to know, okay, what he was doing at the end of this season before it was cut off. That was great. And if he's that, if he is actually that, which was to remind people uh, a focal point of an offense and a defensive menace, like he was his defense had gotten to a level that was pretty scary as a wing defender and a good scary in a good way. Right. Um, if he's that, uh, then I don't think he's a guy that the net should should part with because that's a lot of potential and still a lot of place to grow. But if he goes to Orlando, I'm not saying that this should be an indictment on him, but if he goes to Orlando and he's underwhelming and he goes back to being a guy who shoots 25% from three, which is what he's been before, uh, this is all, all of this basically to wrap up is like, this is the most important thing is to find out what exactly Karis LeVert is going to be like. Do you think the Nets feel that way though? Do you think the Nets put that much attention that like the Karis is the thing or is it just simply... You know, we're they're just trying to compete as best they can in Orlando. That's why they hired. That's why they signed Beasley and Crawford. Even though Beasley, we can talk about later too. I I think you could almost divide the roster right now into two categories of playing their way onto next year's team or playing their way into potential trade discussions. Just because you know, I and again, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but you look at the Nets cap situation for next year we don't know what the cap's going to be and, and i think the biggest question that that could kind of fill out some of, uh, of the rest of this is how deep is joe side willing to go into his pocket you know how much of the luxury taxes is willing to pay is, is there a number too high in terms of salary and everything and you know when i did our state of the net story on uh with john hollinger our, our colleague and good friend he talked about how the, the Nets need a lot more guys like Wilson Chandler for next year in terms of these experienced veterans on, you know, the, the veteran minimum contract or something close to it. And, and I think that Jamal Crawford and Tyler Johnson definitely fit that bill just because of, of their experience. And you look at someone like Jamal, who'd be 40 years old. I mean, if you were to, you know, he, he said he was just so happy to have a, a job. I, I mean, at 40 years old, a chance to win a ring, I, I think that he, that would play a lot to him, uh, especially if he shows he can still play in the bubble. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, if you look at Karras, I mean, does, is, is he able to play his way into a situation where the Nets just can't trade him because it would look terrible and they're trading away another star? And what if this whole thing goes badly? You know, the, the thing that I've kind of said, and I don't know if this would even be possible, but if there's a way for the Nets to kind of acquire a third star or, or another piece while keeping Karras, to me, to, to give the New York sports reference, it kind of reminds me of, of Joe DiMaggio where he was a World Series champion with Lou Gehrig, and then after World War II, he, he played with Mickey Mantle. You know, he, he kind of had two ch- chances at a championship, one being the younger guy with some of the older veterans and legends, and then um, – a second chance as, as the older statesman with, with, you know, some, one of these younger guys. And, and I just think that with Karras, you know, I think the question has to be, does he show enough, as you said, to where he, he makes himself untradeable almost, you know what I mean? Like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and some of the other people in the organization will say like, we can't get rid of this guy 
he's too good. He's too big of a piece. He's too big of an X factor for next year's team. And as you said, I mean, I was trying to pull it up before the, the ads uh, sabotaged me as to just what he was uh, averaging. Um, Leading into. Yeah. I, uh, hold on. Here we go. Here we go. I'm pulling it up. But, um, but yeah, so I, um, here we go. He was averaging 25.5 points over his last five games going into, uh, going into the break. And obviously that included his, uh, his ridiculous once in a season game against the uh, – maybe once in a career game against the Celtics. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think the biggest thing with him is does he show enough to where he alone either – and obviously the problem with the NBA and trades is you have to make it the salaries match. But is, is he enough to where he becomes such a valuable asset to where he kind of softens what the Nets would have to give up if they were to go that road – or he just ends the conversation altogether to where, no, he's the third star, or as you said, quote-unquote, the third star. And it's going to be Karis, Kyrie, and Durant next year with all the supporting pieces. I, I think that that's, the, as you said, the biggest question to be answered. And, we, you know, the other thing is we don't know what that sample size is, right? I mean, like, if he just continues at the same level he was going into the break, is that enough? Is it close to that? Does he have to take it up another notch, even though it seems like the situation might force him to? I think that's the biggest thing is that this is such a different roster, as you said. We're, we're, we're all kind of looking at this as to, you know, it's just so tough to pinpoint. Yeah, and, like, there are, uh, there are a bunch of moves. We're all obsessed with a third star, but there are so many moves that a team could make that transforms a team from, you know, trying to get to the Eastern Conference to trying to win a championship. And it not always, you know, we just had watched the Jordan rules doc and, you know, the last dance and Rodman elevated the second era of Jordan from, you know, obviously they're probably still going to be an amazing team, but even better team. And Rodman still wasn't all that great. I mean, like he was uh, the best rebounder in the league, a tremendous defender. But he wasn't he wasn't as if he was a third star, what we would think about. Like you would put Bradley Beal or CJ McCollum or Colin Towns, that's like your big shiny star. Well, the Nets still could make a move where they're moving some guys and some draft capital and not Karis, and that really solidifies their team. You know, I had a conversation with John Hollinger on the podcast, uh, which you can still listen to. Um maybe it was about like three or four weeks ago. And I wanted to ask him specifically, this is around the time we learned about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were really feuding. Like that was when the first, I think it was Tony Jones from The Athletic and Sham Sharania probably, they put out a report about Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and things aren't that good. And, and now we've sub subsequently learned that they've tried to patch it up in some way. They've tried to come to some reconciliation. Yeah, but I had a, uh, not to cut you off, I had a source with knowledge of that situation tell me yesterday he, he kind of thought that it, that was a bit overblown and, and, and they're in a better place now than has been reported. Right. And, and it, so, but the thing that Hollinger really kind of left a mark on me about was that, you know, we're all obsessed with the Bradley Beal types. Donovan Mitchell would fall into that. You know, heavy offense, ball handler, creator, scorer. But but really what would change at the team is if they had a Rudy Gobert type. And there's really only one Rudy Gobert, you know, but is a defensive force. And the thing that makes me interested about Karras is that he has the defensive potential that, frankly, like a lot of the star guards that the Nets may be wanting 
don't have. You know, I, I, I think Bradley Beal's a better defender than what his statistics have shown, advanced statistics have shown over the past few seasons, but he hasn't been that good. And he does have a ceiling where I think Karras has, he's in that class of guys of like the, from Jalen Brown to not as good as Paul George, but that wing defender who can match up against one, twos, threes and switch onto a four, but a four doesn't really truly exist anymore. Right. And there's no, there's not that many devastating fours that you would be afraid that Karis Levert was switching onto at a certain point. Levert has that where like just a lot of, a lot of good guards don't, and this team doesn't need any ball handling, but I, I mean, this is, this is what always happens. The conversation always devolves into third star debate. You must get it all the time. And you're ask the mail, you know, when they ask you on to do chats, for the oh yeah, no, I'm I'm doing a mailbag next week. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of that. You know what's funny with the before we move on with the Rudy Gobert thing, I think that in a Kenny Atkinson coached world, you know him being crazy about France and French basketball, he would have loved Rudy <laughs> Gobert. My my whole thing on the Rudy Gobert thing, and I, I love our friend John Hollinger uh, does a great job, fellow Jersey boy. Um, with the the DeAndre Jordan starting situation being such a simmering point. I just don't understand how they trade for Rudy Gobert and not start him, but then also start him alongside DeAndre Jordan. That 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 would be funky with like a twin towers type of um type of look for them alongside uh alongside KD. KD. Yeah, yeah. I mean they'd have a ton of size, and then assuming, you know, if they were to keep Claxton, they they'd be really, really long. But um I I just I've I've never seen the argument for um for that, given what we knew about how it last ended with, you know, what, what some of the, the issues tied to Kenny's departure. So, and kind of tying it back to, you know, Jamal and, um, and Tyler, you know, both of those guys aren't really known for their defense. You know, they're not like, you know, um, you, that, that's just not, I'm not saying they're bad defenders, but it's just not what you think of when you, when you bring them up. Um, but I think that them playing well defensively could also be a, a really good ticket for them potentially getting, um, getting invited to training camp next year. You know, another guy who we assume to be signed, and, and this is a whole other saga, but I, I talked to people around the G League this past week, and they all had said that Justin Anderson would be great for the Nets simply because he's a Virginia guy like Joe Harris that looked really good in the G League and just is an upgrade defensively from what they've had maybe at the end of the bench a little bit. So... As you said, you know, I think this team needs more defenders than anything else. Um, that's why I've beaten the drum, as you've joked about Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, simply because he has ties to Kyrie Irving, and more than anything else, he brings his, def- his defense and rebounding. Um, but even as you said, you know, maybe the third story is what we think. Like, I even think Serge Ibaka, who's going to be a free agent, would be a, a, an upgrade defensively and kind of fit more of what they do and has ties to Kevin Durant that, um, that would be – make more sense than maybe a bounty for a third star that of by definition is a star. Yeah. My thing about Abaka though, is that he is still so good. He, he frankly had probably his best offensive season. He's had his whole career this year. I think he's technically, technically I say, because I don't really know. I think he's like only 30 or 31. He's not tremendously old. Right. So the reason why I bring up his age is because, he just had his best offensive season. He has won a ring already with the Raptors. So it's not like this guy is like ring hungry, right? You know, like we traditionally think of guys who haven't won a ring. He isn't all that old. This is still the time for him to make a whole bunch of money from a team to sign like a three-year $60 million deal. I don't know if it's $20 million a year, but 
he's still pretty highly valued. He he can still defend the rim somewhat, even though his blocks have fallen off. He's a really good shooter. He he's a hilarious guy to bring to fashion shops and to try on clothes and scarves. That that I think that's valuable, particularly in today's age. So like the Baca thing is so intriguing, and it, if you read any comments via Nets and you're on Twitter and you you shout out who the Nets should be looking at for free agency. Abaka is the number one name because of his closeness with Kevin Durant, but I just don't see a shot at at the Nets getting him because of the money. Yes. Abaka is going to have to take a 10 to $15 million haircut per year yeah. to come to Brooklyn. No, right? financially, it doesn't make sense given... As you said, this is his last chance to really get paid, assuming you know he is the traditional cycle of an NBA player. He doesn't fit the Jamal Crawford bill of a guy that would take a veteran minimum or, or a discount to join a contender to get a ring or, or be a supporting cast member of sorts. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're 1,000% correct. Um, by the way, the Wizards have signed Jared Utoff for a uh, contract. This is what Sham Sharani is reporting. You know, can you explain the Justin Anderson thing for a second? Can what's been going on? Like, why why is this so mysterious? That j- we had okay to, to, to track it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Michael Beasley signs with the team, right? Well, we could go back even before then. I mean, uh, Wilson Chandler opts out in late June. I want to say it was the twenty eighth, because uh, it was my dad's birthday, and I always have to work on my dad's birthday for some reason. <laughs> um, Mark Burleson's agent tells Woj, and then they start to sign other guys before. Like Michael Beasley before Justin Anderson, despite him being one of the earliest announced replacement players, then um, you know there's no updates from the Nets, um, and there's all this wonder. And he hadn't he didn't join the team prior to leaving for Orlando, and there's no talk of him going. And then he appears on a University of Virginia assistant coach's podcast or, or web show, I guess, um, saying he's in quarantine with the Nets despite not being signed. And you know they say congrats on signing with the Nets. It doesn't phase him. He's like, thank you. You know, Joe Harris has been filling him in. Uh, you know, I, I touched base with the source that I, I asked, you know, do you know what's going on here? And they said, you know, there, there's a lot going on. You know, optimistic a deal gets done. Can't really say more. And uh, and then it turns out that Michael Beasley reported from having coronavirus. And now it seems like, you know, once again, though, you, you think that he would get signed immediately with, with the teams for a scrimmage next week. And yet now I think Sunday will make it three weeks Two weeks. Uh, yeah, since since the Wilson Chandler news, yes. It's just so weird. I, I got to say that I love uh, the way Sean Marks says run the team. Of course, I think he's done a lot of great things. There has been weirdness lately. One, the Michael Beasley signing to begin with. Love Michael Beasley. I think he definitely is a could be a contributor on an NBA team for sure. But he only could have played three regular season games because he was suspended five games for, uh, was it? Drug suspension of some yeah, kind. Yeah, failed drug test from April 2019. Right. So he only could have played three regular season games and then the playoffs, believing that the Nets will make the playoffs. I think that is a guarantee now. I can firmly say I don't think the Wizards are going to win enough games to really put pressure on the Nets on any circumstance. So that was a weird signing. And I think we can kind of guess that Kevin Durant, Mark says th- said in an interview, I think, with Evan Roberts on WFAN that Kevin Durant had no role in this, but I he will said say the same to us. Yeah, I will say the same. I will say that I think Kevin Durant did, and that's just my belief. And Jamal Crawford, friend of seems to be friend of Kevin Durant. Jamal Crawford's a friend of all, so it's yes. not unusual. 
Jamal Crawford is one of the more beloved NBA players in the past 30 years. People Very nice love. guy. Very nice guy. Great with the media. Great locker room guy. I'd be stunned to find someone that doesn't like Jamal Crawford unless he broke their ankles. But but Marks is doing previously in Marks's tenure, it, it was autonomous. He was making the decisions, I'm sure, in tandem with Kenny Atkinson. But, you know, he was making these decisions. We're going to sign this guy. We're going to pick up this G-leaguer. We're going to try to improve in this way. We're going to give Tyler Johnson a contract, Otto Porter a contract, Alan Crabb a contract. We're not going to give considerations to – there was no star to consider, right? There was no one within the – on the court for the Nets who had such a stature in the league that you had to in some way consider their feelings or their thoughts on the matter. But now there's like all this like this Justin Anderson thing is just very it's all weird. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a great explanation for when it comes through. And who really cares? And frankly, like Justin Anderson is I I think it could be good on the court for the Nets, but he's not going to make a huge difference. He's not going to stop Giannis Antetokounmpo in the first round of the playoffs. I think we understand that, but it's just all this whole like Nets Orlando bubble experience. It's just been, there's a lot of strange, there's a lot of gaps in knowledge, I feel like. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And look, I mean, contracts get delayed in getting signed all the time for various reasons. And, you know, even uh, to defend Sean Marks, you know, Sean Marks could, could say if he wants to, and it's completely valid. You know, when, when Wilson Chandler opted out, we, we had Justin in mind, but then we lost Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan. And we hadn't signed him yet, and are thinking a change in terms of what we need to get, and we want to see what else we can gauge the market with, keep that spot open in case we had something else fall through or, or something like that. Um, so I, I, I think, as you said, that th- that there are valid reasons out there, but but it is interesting, you know, Justin Anderson, in, in in his defense, he has some of his own ties to the roster. I mean, he went to Montrose Christian, alma mater to Kevin Durant. He um, he played college basketball with Joe Harris. He is involved in that Hoops 2.0 thing, which I helped write about a story in December with uh, our, uh, someone from the Indianapolis site, which includes Malcolm Brogdon and the Nets Garrett Temple and so, some other guys. So, I mean, and obviously Justin Robinson was the star player of the Long Island Nets essentially for the second half of the G League season. So, I, I mean, you know, it, he has his own cards. But, I mean, Donta Hall is really the only guy that's been signed that you know, no one on the roster really knows, it seems like, or knows a lot about. Uh, Chris Joseph played against him in the SEC, but you know Justin Anderson. He, we're talking about the the connection to the roster. I mean, he he's got his own cards to play. I feel like, um, just like some of these other guys. Can you feel it? The excitement and anticipation has been growing for weeks, and the time is almost here. That's right, baseball is coming back next week. The teams will be taking the field in less than ten days, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook. America's top-rated sportsbook app. To put you in the center of the action, DraftKings Sportsbook is celebrating the new season with a special promotion. Before the season starts, place a bet of at least $25 on who will be crowned the champion, and they'll give you a $25 free bet to use on opening day. While we are all excited for baseball, do not forget that there is European soccer happening all week long and a huge golf tournament happening right now that is thrilling. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's code QUICK. 
to get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus required 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I want to, I'll ask you one final thing because we've been gone so long here and I don't want to give too much time. Jock Vaughn is the man sort of at, in the middle of this Disney Nets typhoon right now uh, because he's he's going to have to put together a, a, a team on the floor to get the Nets to the playoffs and then play probably the Bucks because I still believe that the Nets are weakened to the point where the Magic may edge them out. Um Probably play the Bucks, who are one of the best regular season teams of the past 40 years, basically. What what is Jacques Vaughn to do in this circumstance? And like how much how much is this uh you know an audition for the big job? Because we're led to believe that he has a shot at being the coach when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are the team next season. Yeah, so um I think it's first off easier to start by talking about what Jacques Vaughn uh, should not do, which is find a way to fall out of the playoff race and get overtaken by the Wizards. And obviously a lot would have to happen there. I'm, I'm on your side of that, um, of that. I don't see a world in which the Wizards without Bradley Beal and Davis Breton successfully overtake a team for the, uh, or even get force a play in game. But um Avoiding anything close to that situation, I think, would be would be a good start. Um, and from there, I, I think it really varies. You know, he Sean Marks has said that wins and losses don't count in terms of his evaluation of Jacques Vaughn, who he has known since they were with the Spurs together, is worth noting. I, I use this analogy off air, and you said you have one to counter me, but I, I said that it's like Jacques Vaughn being a gift basket salesman. And, you know, he's up for a promotion. And before he, you know, gets his, uh, during his chance to, to kind of show what he can do for that promotion, they, they say that, you know, the following products are coming out of the gift basket. They're, they're some of the better products. And you have to sell gift baskets with this, you know, watered down version of said product. But because of this, and because of the limited window we have for you to sell them, your sales don't matter. So what, what constitutes an evaluation? Is it how close he comes to a sale? Is it his interaction with his clients over said, said product? Um, you know, it, it's really tough to, I think the more he wins down there, obviously the better. And I, I cannot stress this enough. I do not expect the Nets to get out of the first round of the playoffs. I don't. But this is so unprecedented and so crazy, and we have no idea what it's going to look like in terms of injuries and positive tests possibly to where if a top seed was going to fall, um, this would be the year. But again, I'm not expecting that to happen. Wow. But, Alex is calling. Okay, everyone. Alex whoa, is calling whoa, right whoa, now. The Nets whoa. are beating the Bucks I, in whoa, the first round. No, no I am not. No, I'm, I'm going to tell the athletic social media team they're going to make a big oh. one of those big, beautiful quotes. You know, that they there's a picture of you in black and white. Alex Schiffer says, how many games are the Nets going to beat the Bucks? Is it four games or is it five? Where, where do you You know, say? It's, only, it's only one o'clock on a Friday, but maybe it's not too early to start drinking. Come on, Mike. No, um, it's not. But, um... But no, like I, I just think the more he wins with the the hand, the the handcuffed roster that he has, the better. 
But still, I, I think I think you know people talk about his relationships with the guys on the team and, and how that can help him. I it, it's just so tough to to kind of gauge because I feel like you can't knock him if he doesn't get the job, given everything. But also, there's so much we haven't seen from his time as an assistant. You know, Kyrie thinks highly of him. Karis really likes him. He's coached the guards. Um, you know. But there's also a world in which, given everything, you, you can't be stunned if he does get it, right? I mean, it's, it's like this weird scenario in which there's a ton of reasons why he shouldn't get it and why, you know, he probably wouldn't. But I think there's also a few if he got it. Well, I mean, he never really got a shot as the interim coach with a full, healthy roster. And he's liked it enough with the people endorsed to where they think it warrants a shot for a year to see what it looks like. I mean, I, I think that both of those things can be true, can it not? Well, I mean, I, there is precedent here. So, like, it's weird. Sure, it would be kind of strange if the Nets fired Kenny Atkinson, promote the guy who was just to the left of him on the bench, and then he ended up coaching this roster that we know already has on it Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. A but that's worked roster. recently in the East. Ty Lue and Nick Nurse are proof that that's worked. It, it has worked in the past. And, it, and and frankly, it's like if you look go through the history of the NBA, look at all the coaches who have won championships. Phil Jackson was an assistant under Doug Collins. And he becomes the greatest or second greatest coach of all time, depending on how much you love Red Arbach. So it's it, it, it has happened over the span of basketball. Basketball is like very there is a template of how these things work. I, I did this thing, Alex, I don't know, I guess also about a month ago, or right right around the time when Kenny Atkinson got fired. So maybe that was like five months ago now, where I looked through the, the past coaches who have won championships over the past 30 years. And pretty much in every circumstance, the coach that won the championship, the first time they won it with that team, so I'm saying the first time Steve Kerr did or the first time Greg Popovich even did with the Spurs, they became the coach after that team fired someone and brought the new coach in either that season they won a championship or the season prior. Pretty much every time. Very few times is is there a slow burn up to a championship with the same coach. Chuck Daly is just about the only guy who where it was like a real slow burn up to it. I mean, Larry Brown with the Pistons, Rick Carlisle was the coach. He takes them to the Eastern Conference Finals. They fire Rick Carlisle, maybe even the finals. And then Larry Brown comes in, wins a championship. And then Larry Brown left very shortly thereafter to go to the Knicks because that was his dream job. A thing that he said while he was the Pistons coach. He literally said while he was a Pistons coach that the Knicks was my dream job, which is kind of crazy. Well, not kind of. It is. So anyways, so it wouldn't be unusual if Jacques ended up being the coach for the Nets. I just think that, you know, we've heard him talk about his relationship with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And he hasn't, like, said we're best friends. So I'm not, like, saying he's. But that's the only thing that's going to matter is it doesn't matter what how Sean Marks necessarily feels about Jacques Vaughn. Of course, Sean is still the guy making the hire. I still think it. Sean has said himself. This job is, we are going to ask Kevin and Kyrie what they think and what they feel. And I think the biggest job of this coach is really going to be sort of just keeping the locker room at a, at a good place, a good equilibrium. And that, that's why I like Ty Lue. I think Ty, from what I've seen from Ty Lue. Um, you don't like past, Ty Lue. You've been, beating, you've been beating another drum uh, during all this. Don't, don't, don't hide behind Ty Lue. <laughs> we know who you really want. Yeah, I everyone Greg I've been banging the Greg Popovich drum before that drum was even tightened on to the to the rim there, okay? The drum was even made, you know? 
I it, it was it was just shredded parts of wood and deer hide. I think they use deer hide to make the th- they probably don't. That's probably inhumane. But you know they use some kind. Of, it used to be be some kind of animal hide skin that would they would make the drum. I was the drum that I was banging. I was just clapping my hands because there was no drum to even be banging at that point. If that analogy makes any sense. Yeah, I want Greg Popovich, and I think it's very possible. And that's something for another time. We can talk about my Greg Popovich theories and why it makes sense another time. Unless if you want to say something right now on the record, Alex Schiffer. No, are you, are you saying that? Greg, are you saying the Nets are going to win the championship and that they're then going to hire Greg Popovich? No, you, you've done enough to corner me today. I uh, <laughs> I had a final thought on Jacques. The, the thing I'm interested with Jacques Vaughn also though is, um, you know, you could talk about his Orlando te- Orlando tenure however you want. Well, you know, it depends upon who you ask in terms of if he got a shot, if he didn't get a shot, because obviously they blew up the roster and traded Dwight Howard shortly after he got hired, and he was kind of going there as the rebuild guy. But, um, you know, he's 100 games under 500 at, during his time with the Magic, and his teams did not rate out offensively or defensively well. So I, I'd be interested, you know, if he could turn – again, it'd be a very small sample size, but can he turn the narrative around in that – you know, in the small sample size that we are going to see of him, him with this team, can he kind of try and flip the script a little bit on those fronts? You know, how much of that was the situation he was in or how much of that was was some of his own philosophies and, and schemes? And what does that look like? Because, again, I don't know, as you said, what, what the final determining factor is going to be. But, you know, I think there's like a ceiling to assuming – this follows what our expectations are. There's like a ceiling to what he can do to kind of um, grow his, you know, build his case down there, if, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And like early on in this iteration of Orlando, there were rumors, I mean, reports that Kyrie Irving was going to join the team in Brooklyn, right? Like I think Woj reported that. And then we had the whole, so then Kyrie, he kind of had the splinter cell within the NBA and everything kind of happened as it did. But if Kyrie was like rehabbing with the Nets, that would have been valuable for Jacques Vaughn because then he could have been, in, you know, I mean, he, I'm sure Kyrie saw enough from Jacques Vaughn to get a, an opinion on the guy, but that would have been invaluable time. I mean, we're, we're already seeing that the team is bonding at a at a different level because they're all quarantined together. So they're going fishing and they're doing mm-hmm. things that they normally wouldn't have been doing together. They did. Uh, we had Rodion's Karuts and Garrett Temple racing in the water. They did uh, a, a swim race, a meet swim meet together um though you they probably would not have done that if they weren't bubbling so i think if Kyrie was there seeing jock vaughn every day i think that would have improved their relationship and potentially but the fact that he's not just it, it i don't know i don't I, I don't know how much he can prove unless there's this huge winning streak i mean sean marks knows who jock vaughn is the players mostly know who jock vaughn is they're the only thing that could change if like there is a, a switch that is flipped and the nets beat the bucks like you exactly said so we'll see if that happens if your if your uh prediction comes true that your guarantee that the nets will beat the bucks in the first round if that comes true sure you can have you can have jock vaughn for your job alex thank you for joining me today we're going to talk about some of the way you interpret my language sometimes <laughs> and that off, off uh off air thanks for having me mike